Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. Hello and welcome back. Today we're talking about school safety with Professor Nadine Connell. Nadine's a criminologist from the US who's now working in Australia and her work focuses on the dark side of everyday school life, issues of school safety, school security, school violence. Now, long-term listeners to this podcast will know that education research is not just about teaching and learning and classrooms. And I think Nadine's work's a really good example of this. But this area of research is a hard sell. So I started the conversation by asking Nadine how she would best explain what it is that she researches to a broader education audience. At its best, a school is a vibrant, exciting place of learning with strong relationships and respect. And at its worst, it is a warehouse for children. And it's society's obligation and role to ensure that it doesn't become its worst because teachers and administrators only have so much that they can control. So what I think of a lot of what I do and other school safety researchers do is we work on the factors outside of the average school or administrator's control so that they can do their job, which is the pedagogy, which is the teaching, but that everybody, teachers and students can feel safe walking in the door. And I know there's lots of school safety researchers that focus on um, issues of emotional safety, for example, but your work falls much more around the topic of physical safety in schools. And you've researched various angles around this, but perhaps the most extreme of which is your your work on school shootings. Now, we tend to only hear about the the highly publicised instances of mass school shootings, Columbine and Sandy Hook. What what else comes under this term? That's a great question because it is continually debated, but from the work that I do and most of the people that work within the space, we are looking at one of two kinds of incidents. One are those rampage shooting incidents. So your Columbine, your Sandy Hook, your Parkland incidents, um, which are are sort of interesting because they do encompass a variety of of offenders, um, which is, you know, interesting in and of itself. My work is a little bit more broad. It is any time a firearm has gone off and injured somebody on a K through 12 campus. So in those places where the state has a responsibility to provide safe learning spaces, we gather our database, the American School Shooting Study database actually encompasses 24 hours of day, any type of perpetrator, And that means that it could be two o'clock in the morning and it's a drug deal, but also it could mean that we are looking at those rampage shootings. And one of the reasons that that definition is really important to me and to my teams is that the media has a tendency to equate every single incident at a school with Columbine. And that has real implications for fear and for safety. And I was working in schools at the time with sort of some other projects and talking to school administrators and school teachers and saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to say to parents. I don't know what I'm supposed to say to my students. I know this isn't going to happen here, but how do I um, talk to them about it? And that's when we realized that more had to be done to get a consensus around what we were talking about, what it meant, because also they all have different prevention and intervention implications. Um, And that matters when you have limited resources. 
And so just to be clear here, when we're talking about school shootings, what's the prevalence of, of these sorts of incidents in total? So if we are talking about a rampage shooting, on average, you're looking at three to five per year. Um, and, and for context, there are over 100,000 schools in the United States the last time I checked. So an incredibly rare event. Um, when we start broadening our definition, you can get closer to 20 to 25 incidents a year, which I think is another important point, not to diminish the trauma associated, but from a fatality perspective, it's still incredibly low. You're much safer at school than you are literally anywhere else. Which is good to hear, but I mean, for many people working outside this area, this this does still seem pretty scary. And and the language around this takes on an unfamiliar tone. For example, reading through your work, I mean, you talk a lot about the big push to safeguard at American schools and what many people in the industry talk about in terms of target hardening, for example. I mean, how is target hardening manifesting in U.S. schools? A great example of that is, you know, every school is going to have rule about who can walk in when they can walk in. Um, they're going to have rules about when doors are going to be locked and when they're not going to be locked. Plenty of schools around the world have emergency preparedness drills. So on one hand, target hardening means doing all of those things consistently. It comes out of the research around communities and situational crime prevention and, and finding ways to reduce the attractiveness of a potential target, victim, or place. So it is a, a scary word, but in practice, it is a lot of the measures that most schools would take to keep children safe from strangers or even rogue drivers or you know non-custodial parents trying to walk in during the course of a day. What we have found is that most of the school safety measures that we've looked at to see whether or not they're being implemented are actually district force requirements. And it's really funny because you ask kids if the school has them and they go, no, and you go, you're wearing the lanyard around your neck. What do you mean you don't have them? So, so that's mostly what it means, but there is an extreme level above that. And that's where we get into CCTV. That is where we get into your metal detectors. That is where you get into your school police officers or school resource officers, depending on your jurisdiction. And those are a lot more controversial. Um, and those are the ones where the research is a lot more mixed. And I would argue a close reading gives you the conclusion that they do more harm than good. Metal detectors are a great example Anybody who has been at a school during drop-off and when the bell rings and everybody has to run into the classroom knows that there is absolutely no way from a logistical point of view, you are putting every single kid through that metal detector. Or if you are, you're doing anything about it if something goes off. We also know that kids are smart. <laughs> they're, they're, they're crafty. There's lots of ways to get a firearm or any other contraband into a school that doesn't mean the one door that you're going to have a metal detector on. Yes. Yeah. And, and you talk about some of these measures doing more harm than good. So, I mean, what, is, what does the research show about students' sense of safety when in these schools? I mean, what impact on students' sense of safety do, do these measures have? Most of what I have seen to be the case as we look at how students feel about their school is it really has to, that is the thing that the administration and the teachers really do control. And if they feel that they are in a, a, a place where they are respected, they are valued and, um, you know, transparent rules, you know what the rules are and you see them being applied. 
And in all of our research, that is the thing that mitigates all the bad stuff. And that's really, I think, uplifting because it does show you that on a micro level, at a school level, there is control to be had, even amidst the chaos that can occasionally feel like, you know, the conversation around school safety. So if we can make them feel valued and that the adults in the room will listen to them, that really goes a long way in mitigating the bad stuff. Because then students tell the adults, they tell them about weapons, they tell them about bullying, they tell them about drugs, because they trust the adults to do right by them. And so that's really meaningful. Yeah, yeah. And you've also looked at this idea of school preparedness as well, and in particular, the impacts of drills and practicing for shooting events. So you've got U.S. schools running lockdown drills and and in even more extreme cases, you've got schools running live simulations of active shooter drills. So what has your research prompted you to conclude about these? You know, research being what research is, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and working in this with some people who work in the lockdown space in the last couple of years. And I think my own thinking of it has even changed because it really is about that emergency preparedness and how it is discussed and packaged to students makes a big difference. And we didn't have any information about the individual kind of shooting drills that schools could do. But what researchers have since found is that a lockdown drill as part of an emergency preparedness drill process seems to reduce anxiety and As any teacher will tell you, it's handy to have a tool that can get a lot of students to listen to you very quickly in an emergency situation. So while I don't, I don't think anybody should be doing active shooter drills and I will, I will die on that hill. There should be no conception of of threat. There should be no telling a student that somebody with a gun is running around. There should be no bodies that are pretending to be dead, which is a thing that can happen. Those active shooter drills should never happen to anybody except maybe law enforcement. I do think that those lockdown drills have a lot more utility than than maybe I would have thought five, six years ago. Yeah. yeah. And talking about utility, I mean, this is a controversial area of research, but you do manage to engage in some really useful practical work with schools. So how do you try to translate your work into useful, impactful interventions? How do you ensure that people are receptive to what you've got to say in schools? You know, it's interesting. I've been very lucky in that I have not been targeted too much for my work and my views. And I don't always know why, <laughs> because I agree with you. It is it is controversial. Um, you know, there's been one or two death threats, but nothing to take seriously. But I think it's because I've always started from the place of we're all on the same page. We want students to be safe. What does that look like to you? And what can we do to help, especially when working with schools? Because you know, there are lots of schools out there. School shooting is not the thing that they care about. They would like to have a conversation about bullying. They would like to have a conversation about drugs. And so I've done a lot of work at the school level with implementing prevention and intervention programs and training on how to do that, um, identifying and, and recommending what is the best program for a school based on their actual needs. I'm currently working on a program with some colleagues here at Griffith that we're really excited about, which is uh, social emotional learning modules for late primary school students. And, you know, that's a win for teachers because that makes the classroom and the development, but it's a win for criminologists because we know that improving social emotional learning in young people means they are less likely to be arrested, less likely to make commit crime, to commit violence. And so, you know, a lot of it is coming from we, we have the same goal. And that's been, I think, 
why I've been so successful with policy-oriented research. I mean, policy-orientated research is one thing, but this is a political minefield, particularly in the US. And you've got the right-wing NRA and and academic researchers are always being encouraged to publicly engage and impact. I mean, how do you you manage to have a meaningful civilised debate with people on about this? Look, sometimes you walk away. (laughs) I'll I'll be honest. I lived in Texas for eight years and there are lots of people open to this conversation, but lots of people who aren't. And so sometimes you walk away. Um, I think one of the things that helps is that I don't talk about guns. Like my personal opinions about guns is that we probably don't need them. We certainly don't need as many as we have, but it is not controversial to say there shouldn't be guns on schools. The people who say that teachers should be armed are a very small group. They don't have a lot of support from the rest of us in this space. It's not controversial to say that somebody who cannot legally own a gun because they are 14 should have access to it. So I think that's usually how I think I'm able to navigate that conversation is I'm starting from a point of agreement. I've never said, I, you know, my research doesn't say get rid of guns, but that is because I'm very pragmatic and I know what the United States framework and, and landscape of guns is, and that's not going to get anywhere. No, no. I mean, but you've now moved to work in Australia. I mean, security, school security is often portrayed as a specifically US problem. I mean, to what extent is that true? Honestly, what's going on in American schools is the same thing that's going on everywhere else. Uh, we just have guns, which makes people more primed to think it's bad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're talking about guns in the US, but if we talk about the UK, if we talk about Australia, there's a very real knife problem. Um, You know, I have an international database. Brazil has serious problems. You know, Brazil has seen an increase in school attacks. China has an unexpected number of student poisonings and student stabbings by adults. So not even by fellow students. So, you know, if we start looking around, Every community is dealing with some kind of thing that affects their students. But, but, and is every community receptive to hearing about this? I mean, especially from a kind of US research perspective, how does your work translate when you go to other countries? It has made it really interesting internationally because a lot of people want to say, we don't have those problems because we don't have guns. So I don't know why you're here and I don't know why we should listen to you. And that's where actually a lot more of the controversy comes in because I have to say, you're wrong. You have these issues. Ours have played out in a way that is highly fatal because of the weapon that has been chosen. That does not mean that children around the world are not fantasizing about ways to hurt people at school. And some of that is understandable, and most of that will not ever be acted upon, but there will always be a small group. And especially that motivation piece, I think we really haven't dug deep enough into understanding the motivation behind a lot of these perpetrators. We tend to fixate on psychological disorders as an explanation. I'm happy to report that that's changing. And... In one of the recent papers, we actually examined the path to intended violence from an American shooting and a Brazilian shooting that had a lot of similarities, and neither perpetrator has a history of diagnostic mental health criteria, but they have a lot of anger, they have a lot of entitlement, and sort of these things that we don't like talking about nearly as much. And they both had some ties to ideologies that we know to be a little bit more inclined to the far right. And so when we think about Australia, we think about the UK, we think about parts of Europe, I think it's only a matter of time if we don't learn from this 
that we're going to see this here. The weapon is almost immaterial. It's the motivation and the goal. But that's where actually I found, I think, the most pushback is people going, we don't need to know this here. You probably do. (laughs) Yeah, that's a sobering note to end on, especially speaking as a school researcher outside of the US. I mean, these are clearly issues that we all need to know about and get our heads around. So so it's been great to get a quick insight into your work. Thanks ever so much for taking the time, Nadine. It's been a great introduction to what was previously an unfamiliar aspect of schooling for me.